Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's August 2nd, 2019. You're listening to the greatest poker cast there ever was. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long! <laughs> I felt like I had a moderate there. You were like falling asleep in the middle of the intro there. I've been watching debates on TV lately, and that's uh, kind of the result. I think you just sound glad, glad to be home for a day. I wrote the damn bill. <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. <laughs> All right. Well, let me uh, let me let me take over here while you uh, get your beauty sleep in. All, All right. right. All right, well, our World Championship uh, up at the Thunder Valley finished up uh, last week. And when I say finished up, it finished up like at 3 in the morning. Of course. Never fun watching poker. A lot of fun playing poker. Never fun watching it. <laughs> uh, but Josh Prager, uh, who has new, nearly $2 million in live tournament winnings, is our Antioch World Champion this year. Uh, we don't use cliches in the magazine, so we'll use it on the podcast instead. Uh, this is a real David versus Goliath uh, final two, and it really was. It was actually really fun to watch, even though it was three in the morning. <laughs> uh, Prager has cashed in the World Series main event three times, including this year. And Linwood Bailey rarely plays tournaments. Uh, he was a 1-3 player who jumped in the satellite the very last minute and made it through, and the two split more than $230,000 with Prager getting a smidge more uh, before they played it out for the title, cover, and trophy. Uh, let me go through the whole thing here. Or do we want to stop? And oh talk well, you, you, I thought usually you say something. I was going to say spoiler alert. I mean, I'm looking forward to reading the story in Annie Up Magazine, but you're telling me everything I need to know. You're, you're older than Bernie Sanders, then. <laughs> Information um, now, world, Chris. <laughs> uh, but I, I like it, and it's so much money now. When you're talking about Annie Up Tour events now, so much money being paid out, and it just it's it's satisfying to know that our world championship is got big paydays and big players in it uh it was more big players to come in the in the recap here so it's it's kind of cool I'm, I'm just loving it you know yeah it was a five hundred thousand dollar guaranteed prize pool and for the second year in a row it, we absolutely smashed it uh down a little bit this year because a couple other events around the country uh wanted a, wanted a piece of our pie chris is that oh, what I'm so jerks we had uh, had those dates all to ourselves last year, and this year uh, we had to compete with a couple other uh, properties. But still, uh, I think the price pool was right around six ninety, pretty nice. much like nice. pretty close to that. Yeah, so not bad. And uh, yeah, when you're talking, uh, you know, hundred hundred thirty on top there, uh, that's pretty impressive when you're splitting it. So, right, awesome. uh, should be a, certainly a, a nice windfall uh, windfall for uh, Linwood, who goes by Wood. Uh, very, very popular local player there. Um, and for Prager, it's just another day at the office. <laughs> just another day in the office for Goliath. <laughs> oh, because you know, you sit there at the final table and you start doing research on these folks. So you go and hand in Bob, right? And 
And generally, there's two or three that don't have um, a very established page yet, which is great because, you know, hey, all right, so now we've got the, a story of somebody having their biggest score if they win, right? Yeah. And then, of course, there's a couple that the, the Hendon page, you got to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. And Prager is certainly one of those. So, But I'm like, the first first cash at the top was this year's world uh, main event at the World Series. So I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And as I kept scrolling, I'm like, oh, there's another one. <laughs> and there's another one. <laughs> Um, and uh, one of year he finished in the 40s in the main event. So nice, uh, very very accomplished player. So. Does does your analogy fall uh, apart when Goliath gets more money in the title and the trophy and all that? Or, yeah, that's yeah. true. So I mean, it's it, it's a it's a bad cliche. I mean, there's no good cliche. How about an incorrect cliche? Right? Okay, just curious. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it's a, it's a modern take on the classic David and Goliath tale. <laughs> Goliath wins this time. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. <laughs> uh, all right, Eric Lindgren won the uh, $1,100 bounty event, beating fellow pro Kevin O'Donnell. Heads up. Uh, that was kind of fun to watch because we had three final tables going on at the same time. We had the main event. Uh, we had the bounty event, which was the afternoon event on Sunday. And then the uh, series finale um, tournament, uh, which was the night tournament. All of them finishing at the same time. So three final tables going on at the same time. So if you are one of those people that likes to watch poker, uh, there was a lot of good poker to watch there because, uh, you know, watching Lindgren and O'Donnell go back and forth. And uh, Pat Lyons was in that final table as well, too. So that was a stacked final table at the bounty event. Pretty stacked final table at our main event. And then um, uh, a lot of fun play at the uh, finale, including uh, the winner there. He was super excited. He's got a lot of a lot of caches, but never had a lot of tournament before. So that was his first tournament win. He was very excited as well, too. It reminds me of uh, the big four that the Seminole uh casinos do down here yes. in the south right they yes. they have the big four they, they all plan. four final tables at the end <laughs> yeah they plan it they plan it we don't <laughs> just happen to work out that way yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it was really interesting uh to see three final tables going on at the same time and nothing else i mean i mean a cash game's obviously on the other side of the of the room but in that area you know uh, because uh it, it's really you know we keep seeing the praises of, of ben Irwin and uh, his staff there and then how they put this all together but it is a kind of a ballet on some of those days to be balancing two, three events at once, plus mm-hmm. maybe two satellites going on at once, plus all the cash on the other side, and doing it pretty flawlessly. Yeah, so that was yeah. pretty amazing to watch. And then, then for it to all end with three final tables going on at the same time. Um, it is kind of interesting to watch the players, like, you know, because we're so Pavlovian, right? That uh, when you hear the little Bravo thing go, players are now on break. And then everybody at all three tables gets up, and then yeah. they realize one. That's on break. <laughs> Sit down, folks. We just had a break five minutes ago. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, I know everybody is curious uh, how uh, well I did in the heads up because I always do really well. Not really, but you, you know that for sure. That everyone was no, pretty no, curious okay. about the, how you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the no, whole world I, revolves around Scott Long. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got through the, the important <laughs> stuff now. Passing gets crawled here. Okay, just making sure we got that clear. Uh, I will not say it was that my toughest heads up uh, event there. That was uh, last year when I was um, uh, still had a lot of wine sloshing around in my brain. So uh, this year, though, I showed up uh, clear headed and ready to go and got a absolute brutal draw. Um, uh, had I won my first match, and that's a spoiler alert, I did not win my first <laughs> match. Uh, my opponent would have been either the player of the series, uh, and he's in the running for player of the series every year. He's a very fantastic player out there. Or our very first uh, Thunder Valley world champ. They they got they drew each other in the first round. That was brutal. Jeez. So had I got through, I would have had to get through one of them to move on. 
And then there were some other, uh, I really think the uh, the club's bracket was the tough bracket. And then before we started, uh, a lot of us were sitting around talking about and, and agreed with me on that. So, um, but, uh, so no, I, uh, it was a tough match, didn't make it through. And unfortunately, though, my streak of the players beating me, winning the whole thing, ended at three in a row. Um, though my guy made it to, to the final eight, so he uh, he was plucky. He got he got through that really tough second round that I was worried about. So, so basically, to paraphrase uh, Mike McDermott and Rounders, when you arrive at the heads up title championship <laughs> and you look around the bracket and you can't find the the the, the rube, the rube is you, I guess, is what you're telling us. <laughs> the rube. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But uh, I tell you, I still love playing heads up. It's intense, though, and we, you know, you talk about that with players. We did that at the uh, champions reception that night because almost everybody there had had bailed out already. Um, and it, it's it's just it's tough if you don't get to play it very often. Um, and we don't get to play it very often, even in a normal tournament. Now everything chops everywhere, so you know you very rarely get to play heads up, even in, in that. Let alone yeah. in a that's set up like this, because uh, they're very hard to do. Um, but you are, I said this before, so I'm not breaking any new ground here, but you, you are involved in every hand heads up. Yeah. You know, you don't get that, uh, quick fold and go back to checking your music on your phone or Facebook or, you know, uh, flagging down the cocktail waitress for a drink or whatever. I mean, you are, as soon as that hand's over, you're right back in the next hand. And that's, uh, that's tough to do, especially in a heads up, uh, bracket where you have to win, uh, was it five matches to win the thing? So, um, yeah, you're talking. They, it, sometimes, some years, it's more than 12 hours of play um, to get through all that heads up. You know, with minimal breaks <laughs> between matches. So. Stressful to say the least. Yeah. So if you get a chance to do it, it's definitely worth it. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's tough. But you know, we're supposed to do the hard things, right? That's what Kennedy told us, right? That's why. Yeah. That's why we faked the moon landing, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why we faked it. <laughs> uh, but there was one hand in there that I, I really, I think, was the uh, the linchpin of the entire tournament for me. I, I had. Um, I was slowly chipping up uh, early on, uh, which was good, and then the, the tides turn, which always happens in a heads-up match. And then uh, we got pretty deep into a hand where I paired a 10 on the flop, and by the end of the hand, it was third best. I think there might have been a king and a queen also on the board. Um, and uh, when he made that final bet on the end, it would have left me with 5000 left of my starting 30000 I think. So it would have been really tough at that point. And I'm like, I just looked, kept looking at that board, and I'm like, there's just no way that uh, my 10 is good here. Um, you know, you could have a king, you have a queen, you could have a straight. Uh, I don't think there was a flush possibility at that point, but all kinds of things. And I, and I folded, and, uh, you know, he didn't show, of course, right? But the next hand, he showed pocket nines. He's like, two hands in a row. And I'm like, oh! Oh, no way. <laughs> and I'm like, so that, you know, if I would have made that call, then uh, that would have, Flip the flip the tide a little bit, and uh, but then I let myself steam, which you can't do, right? You got to yeah. get it out of your mind. And in a normal tournament, uh, what's our, our former columnist Bloomfield tell you? You got to get up and walk around and and just calm down and come back down and sit down. You can't do that. No, that no. You got to be able to uh, quickly get through it, and um, and I was not. So that was that was the story of me uh, me losing that. Yeah, but you know what? You won the horse title and. You probably came home up for the trip, so we're not feeling too bad for you. And uh, so the funny thing is, when I was on the Hendon Mom uh, researching our final table members, I'm like, I'll poke over to my page, see if it's already updated. And it was. And uh, I didn't realize this, but that was my biggest tournament cash ever. Yeah, I thought it was too when you told it. I thought it was too. It's 
kind of had how sad my poker career is that uh, 15 years into this, my biggest uh, cash is $2,200. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think mine's eight, so don't okay, worry about right. it. <laughs> of course, I don't play tournaments, but still. Yeah. Uh, all right, so the NEF Poker Tour heads uh, two hours west uh, next with the NEF Poker Tour Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno, Nevada, August 15th to the 25th. Get all the details, including a hotel discount code at antiupmagazine.com slash... Oh, I put me on there. It's actually Atlantis, right? Yeah, slash Atlantis. Make that fix. All right. Get all the details, including a hotel discount code at antiupmagazine.com slash Atlantis. Uh, going to be a fun event out there. I always like going out there. A beautiful tournament area. Uh, Reno's a fun town. And really, really, really interesting events at, uh, at this event. So Kitchen sink. Uh, Yep, that's right. Kitchen sink and the the eight game mix, which eight is not mix. the eight game mix you're familiar with. So, <laughs> or practicing your drama hall before you get out there. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, Matt Savage was obviously out at our event. He always comes out for the uh, the heads up. He runs a uh, WPT Deep Stack single table event, which actually, interestingly enough, was won by our last year's world champion, who went on to win the Reno event the following month. Yeah. This year he came back and fired two bolts in the main and didn't. Uh, uh, cash, but didn't uh, didn't win obviously. But he did win the deep stacks title, so he's going to be playing in the deep stacks championship now. Wow. And fantastic guy! I talked to him at the uh, champions reception again. I've got to know him really well over the last couple wins he had, but uh, just phenomenal how his approach. He uh, he played his heads up match completely blind. Really? Yep. Wow. Poker's all luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was fantastic. I mean, if you heard the whole thing, I'm like, I probably shouldn't get him to write a column about it because it was just fascinating to hear. But anyhow, uh, but anyhow, so Matt, Matt was out there and got plenty of time to, to chat with him about stuff. Um, you know, we did chat about what we talked about on the show recently about uh, player responsibility when you're all in and, and don't correct the dealer error. So um, he already has it looked like about two pages of notes for the uh, 2021. TDA summit two years from now. We just finished like literally a month ago and already two pages of notes. So we'll be talking about that. But he also said, Hey, you know, you guys really should talk about this on the, on the show. And I I had seen it. And uh, so I was probably planning on talking about it anyhow, but, um, but here we go. Uh, Poker pro and tournament director, Ken uh, Hallert uh, hired a computer programming friend to write a program to evaluate how much of an advantage players who register late, who are predominantly pros have over those who start at the beginning of the tournament, who are predominantly recreational players, this math shows the advantage to be as high as 16%. Uh, he understands that a solution won't come easy, but suggests that poke rooms could cut back on registration time and add maybe a satellite tournament to keep players in the room rather than forcing them back into the same tournament they just lost. Uh, I don't know what to think about this. A um, couple of things. One, they're not being forced back into a tournament. They, you know what I mean? They don't have to play the tournament again. Um, satellites are not very popular. Um, I mean, they just aren't. Unless it's something really big, like an Antioch Poker Cruise, <laughs> or, uh, you know, I mean, like a main event or something. I mean, it, they, they aren't really popular, so I don't know if that's really a solution. Cut back on registration time, I don't think it's really going to help either, because they'll just say, okay, I'll just show up. If they know they can show up in an hour, they'll show up in an hour. If they know they can show up in 30 minutes, they'll show up in 30 minutes. So I don't think that solves it either. Um, the question I did have, because I didn't know, really get it from the story or not, was... When you say their advantage could be uh, as high as 16%, do I wonder if they eliminate it altogether, do the same people still produce the same results? And, you know, I mean, it's just, I, I just don't know if it's if it's really effective because one guy did it. It just seems like it's such a small uh, sample size to to say definitively that people who sign up for a tournament late 
can do as well as 16% better than they did if they didn't have that option. But I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's really – I don't know what the answer is, but I don't know how much I can rely on this computer programmer um, for the, analyzing the stats or whatever. It doesn't seem, doesn't seem like that's the – I don't know, like the best way to do it. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't seem like that's that's the definitive answer for me. Well, I'll admit I'm not a math guy, as folks know in the show, right? <laughs> <laughs> Those who can't become journalists. All right. Um, so, uh, you know, I read it with interest. Um, I, I didn't. I honestly didn't understand the math. I didn't understand, um, you know, how you how you get an advantage being later. I understand that, you know chip stacks are smaller then because people have lost things. Now you're coming in with a full stack. So, I mean, I guess in some way I, I kind of sort of understand it. Um, but yeah, I don't know, you know, what to think of the actual math that came up and whether there needs to be more, um, analysis of that or not. But, um, but yeah, it goes back to what we talked about after the TDA summit, because there was a discussion there and it was, you know, Hey, uh, Players want big guarantees, and if you want big guarantees, then you've got to find ways to make sure you get players in to make those guarantees. And one of the easiest ways is to and allow multiple reentries, which is very um, hazardous to recreational players. Um, and two, leave that registration window open as long as you possibly can. Um, so uh, <laughs> what's and so I mean again it goes back to what we said I'm like you know what 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 do players want if if they're willing to come off the guarantee and start playing tournaments without big guarantees then this problem solves itself and now you can cut back that re- uh, registration and and uh, multiple reentries and everybody's happy but I just don't see that happening um, you know poker players seem to want it all right so yeah. uh, that that's a, a difficult thing um, here um, is it a now, problem. Uh, I mean, is it a problem? Is 16% really a problem when, you, like, you just, I think you nailed it on the head. They've got to be playing for more than 16% of a prize pool. That, you know what I mean? They've got to be playing for more than that. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not equating the two numbers. What I'm saying is, aren't you getting more for your value with more players in the field than the fact that 16% of pros will, will do, or 16% of people uh, will do better 16% of the time or whatever. I just think that you're getting still getting more value for having the re-entries than you're losing value because they're winning more uh, more times or whatever. It, it, to me, well, it just yeah, seems... This, this analysis was strictly on late reg, not uh, re-entries. So, okay. But, even uh, so. I mean, even so. I mean, it... It, just because you allow the late registration to come an hour later, or I, I, it doesn't matter. When you shorten that window, they're still going to get there and play. I think they're just thinking, oh, it's because they could have lost less by then. But there's still the same amount of chips are in the tournament. You know, it's because it's somebody who's short at the table now when you show up in 30 minutes rather than even more short when you show up in an hour. There's still that same amount of chips are still going to be in play at the tournament. You know, they still have a chance to expose the people who got those chips. I, I don't know. It just seems like a really – there's too many factors, I think, for this to be an effective program. I, I, don't, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, yeah, that goes back to the math part that I, I, I clearly have stated that, <laughs> that I don't get. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't get how you figure uh, that you have an advantage there. I mean, for me, I, I hate red, uh, regging late. I like to get there at the beginning. I want, want the opportunity to win as many chips as possible and – when I sit down at the beginning of a tournament, I got more chips there to win from, from people. Now, obviously, those chips don't got to play, which is what you were mentioning. They just go migrate to other stacks. So maybe at that point it's easier because now you just got to win them from one player rather than ten. I don't know. But, yeah. uh, um, but again, you know, one of the things I think recreational players need to admit, and most probably do, is we play for fun, right? I mean, how many times have we talked about it on the show here? I mean, we obviously want to win. 
Um, if we don't ever win, we're probably going to quit and go find another hobby, right? Yeah. But, um, but I really enjoy just sitting at the table at the, at the World Championship playing. So, I mean, uh, I, I've, I, I see it as if I were to reg four hours late, I've, got, I've given up four hours of poker enjoyment. So I'm just not going to do it. I would rather be there at the beginning, and if I get knocked out, then I can re-enter and get back in, or I have that choice. But uh, I'm there to play poker, so I'm not there to show up late and and then cash. Now pros are completely different, right? They're doing this for uh, for a living, and and as Ken mentioned in his uh, analysis, that it's you know poker's getting tougher for the pros now. So you have to look for every single advantage that you have, and uh, they think that this this is one of the advantages they can make is to walk around the room and check out the field and if the field or the ch- the big chip stacks are in front of recreational players now then it's time to jump in because you can win those and if the big stacks are in front of the pros then maybe you skip that tournament so it's because it's gonna be harder to get those chips right so yeah, yeah. um but uh, the other kind of interesting thing that I haven't seen happen, and I'm curious as to why it doesn't, is you would think this is kind of a problem that would solve itself in a, in a sense. Like, you know, during the uh, the horse tournament, we were talking about this in the players at the table. The reg was open until the point that if you bought in, you got 10 big blinds, yeah. which is nothing in a limit tournament and really nothing in a no-limit tournament either, right? Yeah. So at that point, I mean, who, who's really regging <laughs> at that time? Um, unless you're a complete degen or you just, you know, you're chasing a player to the series title and you got there later, whatever, you know, maybe some other reasons. But from a pure poker standpoint, why would you ever enter a tournament that gives you 10 big blinds? Um, so, um, you know, if, if the reg is going that late to give you that bad of value and people are still buying in, I, that's what I'm really interested in. Yeah, because uh, that's an advantage now to people in the field. I would think, right? Yeah. I mean, it certainly takes away the poker for you. you got to sit down and pick a hand and push, and it's like playing a hand of blackjack, or actually not even a hand of blackjack, or some skill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like exactly. It's kind of the same, but it's like, or, or putting your money on black or red and roulette, and all right, if I double up, now I'm back in the game. Uh, I, I just, I'm not willing to chuck down 160 to $10,000 on, on that kind of chance. So um, it is interesting to me that it, this is a problem that doesn't solve itself, but... Um, you know, I imagine in some jurisdictions you could, if you're allowed to charge different amounts, you could charge more the later you get there. That would solve the advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. People you know, still do time, it, but yeah. Every level that you're late, you it costs you twenty bucks more to get in. Um, I mean, I know some like the quantum's do that uh, in a different way, but yeah, by days. Um, but I mean, that would be a solution too that doesn't take away from you know the guarantees and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, if you're a pro and you think you have an advantage and you're willing to buy in for four x the <laughs> the buy in, all right. Yeah, and the same. See, the quantum does it where they give you more chips. They give you what they think the average will be on day two or whatever, something like that. But in here, you still get the same on a starting chip as everyone else did, but you have to pay more money for it. That that would dissuade people from showing up late. That's for sure. I think. I would think. Now again, you can't do that in all jurisdictions, but some you can. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that I think might be interesting, and not every room can do this, but um, but Ben did it with our series finale this year. Uh, they did chip leader bonuses. So at every break, they counted the chips, and if you were the chip leader, you got a bonus. Wow. Uh, you either got uh, like a hotel room or a steakhouse credit, or it was all, all comp kind of things, right? Um, but I imagine you could design a tournament like that where money comes out of the prize pool. So... So you don't have to do comps for it. Um, I think players probably appreciate more as comps because it's value added, right? But, right, right. Um, 
But, you know, what what if at every break the chip leader got their buy-in back? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and comes out of the prize pool. So now the, the advantage, that there's two advantages now with getting there early. One, you're there in time for the first break, so you have a chance of winning that amount, too. And then the later you, you reg, the harder it is to become the chip leader. So, hmm. I don't know. It seemed that people seem to like it there, and uh, we're going to do it again at the uh, Antioch Tour in Hamul um, in September. So we'll see how it looks. But, but there might be some other solutions to this that uh, don't involve that. But again, I'm not a big fan of the late reg either. So and I'm also not um, one of those players at the gates demanding big guarantees either. So I'm just happy to play poker. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, any fan, uh, Brett, uh, Atia? Atia, I would think, yeah. Uh, uh, it's even worse because I just listened to the podcast, so I... <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, any up, uh, fan, Brett Atia is the featured guest on the most recent Carlina Angwin podcast, uh, which you can find on YouTube. And I found it a really interesting listen. Um, Angwin isn't a poker player, and Atia quit his job uh, a year ago thing playing professionally since then. So a couple of the things I liked, I mean, I like when there's an interviewer that doesn't know poker... Uh, I don't know what her her podcast is. It sounds like they just find an interesting person somewhere and they talk about it, right? So she's learning something every week, right? Right. Or every episode. Uh, but it's interesting when, when, you, when you're when you not a poker player to ask a poker player questions. So um, rather than a poker player is talking to poker players, which is a different, uh, not better or worse, but different, right? So, yeah. Uh, and then it was really interesting that uh, one of our listeners uh, literally quit his job a year ago now playing professionally, and it seems to be doing well for him. Um, and uh, so it's, it's an hour show. It's a little bit of a listen like ours is, but uh, I found it really interesting, um, a lot of the questions they asked. And they had um, listeners send questions. I don't know how they did it. They weren't, you know, it wasn't a live show, but um, kind of interesting, I thought. Well, you know, you can tell that Brett never uh, asked for a hand of the week advice from us because he's playing professionally, so... He obviously didn't need us. <laughs> uh, one of the things about the, the interview with people who don't know poker is a lot of times the questions are either fascinating or absolutely horrible. That's true. That you is know? true. But, uh, you know, that's it, kind of cool. He was real excited when he emailed us, too. He's like, I want to let you know I'm a big fan, but uh, I was on the show, and you need to listen to it and see it. And Very cool. I always like it when our, our listeners do something or are featured or something like that. It's, it's always amazing to me. The first time one of our listeners won a bracelet, Back when Lee Childs made the final table, the main event, you know, it was just like they reached out to us, and I'm like, are you serious? Are you guys just, like, trying to get free publicity? And they're like, no, man, you're, you're our show. And I'm like, no way. And they're like, yeah. So it's always exciting when they're when they're excited that, you know, something's going on in their lives and they want to share it with us. I love it. Just great. Well, great I tell you, we're the perfect show to listen to because if you're just starting out in poker, you don't know much, we know more than you, so you're going to learn something from us. And if you're way better at poker than we are, which is most people, uh, you feel better about your game listening to us. So. <laughs> you can't lose listening to Annie. <laughs> All right, Annie updates. The Texas Poker Championship, presented by Annie Up Magazine, has a tournament series in September and December to help fund the Social Card Clubs of Texas organization. Each series features day ones at card clubs across Texas. For more details, visit socialcardclubsoftexas.org. Jackson Rancheria Casino in California will award an Antioch Poker Cruise package for the April 9th, 2020 sailing, plus 1K in expenses to the grand prize winner of a drawing on December 20th. Players can earn drawing tickets and live poker games from September 1st until December 20th, with numbers being drawn every hour starting at 3 p.m. with a different prize each hour. For more information, visit AntiochCruises.com. 
Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast.idiotmagazine.com. If they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. comes from our buddy Mike Cantor. He said he came back from his first World Series down plenty. He didn't have a single winning session until he came. Uh, he played craps on his last night. Uh, he says, my question... <laughs> That's how you did it, too. I remember, I'll never forget that Harris trip we had at New Jersey, Atlantic City. I'm playing all night long at one table, and you're like, uh, I went broke, I'm going to go play craps. Then you come back like, I want a bunch, I'm going to buy back in. Then you, I went broke, I'm going to go play craps. It went to like 4 in the morning, you kept getting your money back at craps and coming back. It was hilarious. All right, let's go back to Mike. He says, uh, my question is about paradoxical reactions to how things work out. In the Crazy Eights tournament, I played mediocre but got well past the dinner break. Finally, I got Jack-Jack and went all in uh, with another guy who had a small stack also going in. And then the big stack called us both. Big stack had queen-queen, smaller stack had 7-7, and the flop came with two sevens. (laughs) I didn't feel too bad since going out against quads seemed like a good way to go, but that's not true. You went out against queens. Uh, The quads were a smaller (laughs) stack than you, and the queens had a bigger stack, and they beat you. On the next day, I played the mini main event. Here I was playing well, patiently, had my ace-ace hold up early to get a nice size stack, continued to win some good hands, and was feeling good. One level before the dinner break, I had queen-jack in the cutoff uh, with folds to me. I raised 3x, the blinds both called, flop was 9-10 king with two clubs. It was checked to me, I bet half the pot, small blind folded, big blind raised me all in, and I of course insta-called. He had 9-9, saw my queen-jack and said, oh, and of course, the turn and river were eights and I was out. I swore to myself, got up, and just left in a really bad mood. This was all luck, not skill, and yet I was more upset going out over something I couldn't control rather than the earlier situation in Crazy Eights where, if I had played better, I may never have been in that all-in situation. Rationally, I should have been more upset at the bad play rather than the bad luck. I think this is pretty common that we get more upset over luck than skill. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Uh, yes, it should. Okay. Gonna... All right, let's do Call the Floor. <laughs> Well, I could, you know, it's just, it's bitter. It, it's sort of, I mean, I don't know. It's the stuff that shocks you, that surprise, that that stays with you. I think that's why the bad beats, like they, I hate referencing rounders constantly. Of course, they love it, but you know, when he says that the guy said to him, you know, hey, or the guy is noted for saying, you know, I can't really remember the really big pots, but I can remember with you know extreme accuracy the the worst bad beats of my career. And it's true, it's the shock. So you're playing well and you lose, and you're like wait, I did everything right, and I lost. So that, that sticks with you. Whereas the other way around, you're like, hey, I got lucky and whatever. So I don't think it, it should be the other way around. I think uh, when they get lucky on you and you do everything right, it seems like an injustice, and that's why it bothers you, right? Yeah, I think there's also some finality that we have to acknowledge here, right? So, you know, uh, like in the uh, the Limit 8 study, I mean, uh, Omaha 8 study tournament I played, uh, I made the final table, didn't cash. Um and got knocked out when I when I had a hand that I thought should have won and then of course I'm rawr, 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 and you walk away right yeah um but just three hands earlier I got quad trays <laughs> in a hand that I shouldn't have won that kept me alive right so I should have been grumbling all the way out about three hands earlier right so right. but it's that last hand because now you're out there's no more hands after that so that's the final hand. And you're going to remember it because you lost it. And, you know, unless you win the tournament, that's the only person that wins the last hand. And so that's going to stick with you more than any of the hands throughout the entire day, even if some of them were more spectacular 
and spectacular in your favor rather than against your favor. So I think there's that that's part of it as well too. You know, when you survive with a one outer, you sit back down. Now you've got five, ten, a hundred more hands of poker to forget about that hand. Yeah. Uh, uh, but when you're out, you're out, and that's the last hand. You're going go to go to go to the buffet and eat some dinner, and your entire dinner you're going to be thinking about that last hand and replaying in your head. So, um, but that's all part of the same thing. That I was going to say is, uh, humans, we are not rational people, right? I yeah. mean, we're imperfect. Uh, beings is why the computer is kicking our ass now because <laughs> uh, it doesn't have emotions it just it plays right uh, if it loses it, it it understands why it lost and if it wins it understands why it won we we're, we're not wired that way we're humans so i mean as much as you can cut that away the better player you're going to be but at the end of the day we're all human so uh, we're going to have these kind of dilemmas um forever right so. if, if you're a big bang fan you need to be sheldon not leonard yes there you go <laughs> All right, find yourself in a situation in your favorite poker room or home game. You're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcastandidiotmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize, a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Dan St. Germain. He was playing the tournament at a Mississippi casino and had made the final table. One of four asks to talk to me. A few days earlier, I was in the same room playing a 2-5 no-limit cash game. I ran my stack up to 7,500, and I don't like playing from behind a mountain of chips, so I walked up to the poker desk uh, with racks of chips and asked them to color me up. They counted, the boss verified, and they sent me back to the table with six 1,000 chips. Back to the final table of the tournament, the floor informs me that they reviewed the video footage from a few days prior and had discovered uh, that an error was made when I colored up. I received an extra $1,000 chip and that I would need to give the floor $1,000. The tone is somewhat apologetic, but in no way joking, and it's clear that I am expected to produce $1,000 right now. I politely say, what? Your team counted, your team verified, and I walked back to the final table. The floor person calls the boss, and the boss and security show up. We have the conversation again less than five feet from the final table that I am at in the tournament. I explain my position again. I don't agree. I did nothing wrong. They tell me to pay or I am trespassing and will be removed from the property. I ask to see the video and they say that I can't see the video. I am a little upset at this time and I'm worried about holding up the final table. More phone calls, more security show up. We are in a huddle now. How did I get into this situation? I am required to just trust them and fork over $1,000? They call another boss and more security shows up. Uh, I am frustrated at this point and don't want to get kicked out. I offer to split it with them and offer to pay $500. That does not go well. I am informed that I pay the full $1,000 or they will call the police and I will be banned from all MGM properties globally. Poker is my hobby. I love to play. I don't want to get kicked, I don't want to get kicked out or banned. Thank goodness I had been lucky and smart and still had $1,000 in my wallet. I peeled it out and let the manager know that I hope that the casino does really well with my $1,000. At this point, I'm shaken up. I ask the floor if they can do anything for me, player status, upgrade, anything. I get two meal comp vouchers for $25 each. I think that I will frame them. I had the money, so I paid it. I don't know uh, what would have happened if I did not have the cash. I have a serious problem with the way the casino handled it. Does $1,000 matter at all to a casino? Not a chance. Should they call a player down for something like this during the break of a tournament? How could that be right? At the final table near the money bubble? That somehow seems worse. 
All right, Elliot says, uh, the casino's personnel should have responded with much more tact and decorum than was obviously displayed. To wait until the final table of a poker tournament to address this with someone is awful and very inconsiderate. The most common poker room software, Bravo, allows alerts to be set up for any player in the database, and these alerts will pop up as soon as that player tries to check in for live poker or register for a tournament. Had this been done, the casino uh, could have had this conversation with you before you even had your tournament entry. More discretion was also called for. Several feet away from other players is just far enough away to have this conversation as things can get heated in little time. Now comes the tough love. Errors are supposed to be corrected when they are made and are almost never made intentionally. This does not mean the results of errors may go only for the players and against the casino. When someone is underpaid, casinos go to great lengths to return the money to those players. These errors are usually reported to the Gaming Commission in their state, and resolutions must be reported as well. Casinos use surveillance footage, facial recognition software, and fairly meticulous record-keeping to overcome the human element of the cage cashier making the occasional error. Rarely is this info uh, presented upon request. Except when presented with a court order, surveillance footage is never shared, not even with police officers or lawyers that ask nicely. Casinos use the same information to get overpaid funds returned to them. Just like how that money uh, that was underpaid does not belong to the casino, it still belongs to the player. Overpaid funds do not belong to the player that was overpaid and still belong to the casino. The laws in virtually every state in the union see it that way, that's for sure. Your hesitation to repay is understandable, as the money was freely paid to you, but... Uh, as was just stated, that money was not rightfully yours. It was merely paid to you erroneously. Your offer to repay only half seemed to me and very likely seemed to the casino that you were seeking permission to steal half the money. It is no wonder that you got almost no token of gratitude for returning the money. I'm very impressed that you received those two meal comps for $25 each. If it were me representing the casino and I fielded your offer to keep half the funds, I would not have given you even the food comps. Had you returned the money without being asked, I would have comped you to the steakhouse. In fact, I would have thought twice about barring you anyway after the money was returned. I probably wouldn't have gone that route given that you returned to the casino relatively quickly and did repay on the next visit. The casinos didn't treat these errors this way. A system that rewarded consistently underpaying players would likely come into existence. Then every player would have to worry about the rake at the tables and at the cage. In summary, when a casino makes a mistake and overpays someone, that money still belongs to the casino and needs to be paid back as soon as possible. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stay silent. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a show where we're supposed to talk and everything, and regardless, the show is running long already. I just, I, I don't want to get into this. Uh, I don't want to say anything. So I don't know if you feel compelled, but I, I did. Uh, I responded to Dan right away, and I didn't go to the length that Ellie does. I, I never do. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that this happens, but it's not your money. So. Um, and needs to be paid back. I agree with Elliot. The, the how it was handled was horrible, um, but uh, it still goes back. And, but I also understand from a player perspective that this this is a, a matter of trust, right? Um, you know, it's, it doesn't seem unreasonable to ask to see the footage so you can verify. It. And if somebody shows you the footage and you see the air, they're like, okay, you're right, here we go. But unfortunately, that's not allowed. So. Now you just have to trust, and that's hard to do. But, you know, as I mentioned to, to Dan, I'm like, I, I promise you, casinos make a lot of money. They are not going to risk uh, their reputation, their gambling license, or anything like that trying to fleece you out of a 1000 bucks. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's tough to understand the trust there, but, uh, you know, I, I just it, – it's it, um, impossible for me to imagine any casino coming to you and shaking you down for a 1000 bucks. They, they, they're going to come to that point, and they've uh, reviewed – all the stuff several times and have determined that it was an error and needs to be uh, rectified. So hopefully it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very often. Um, but if it does, that's the, that's the deal. So 
All right, I'm going to I'm going to say this, then we're going to move on to O'Malley's move. <laughs> uh, I would like everyone who's listening to this to please write in if you had been uh, underpaid by a casino and then contacted the next day or the next week or the next time you showed up and got paid that money that you were underpaid. Just send me an email with that. I'd like to know. Uh, okay, so we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Here's part one, and then we'll see you on the other side. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are still in that same $1, $2 No Limit Hold'em Casino cash game. We've dipped a little and currently sit with 525. The blinds post, it's folded to an MP who makes the standard $8 raise, and we're in the cutoff with the King of Diamonds, Queen of Diamonds. This hand is a little too strong to fold, but I don't want to raise with it. We call. The button calls. He started the hand with 400 and is a speculative player. He likes to see a lot of flops and then play hard and fast when he hits it good. He can let go of a hand when he feels he's beat. With around $25 in the pot, the flop is intriguing. The 10 of clubs, 4 of diamonds, deuce of diamonds comes down. The MP checks and we make a $15 bet. The button min raises us to $30 and the MP folds. We make the call, and with around $85 in the pot, the turn is the ten of spades. So, we have a diamond draw, but is it possible we could represent a ten? Are we checking here, or betting? What's the move? Alright, to answer O'Malley's question, yes, we can represent a ten here, and that's why we need to bet. If your opponent doesn't have a ten, he needs to fold or try to bluff us. I'll take those chances, and if he does bluff us or have a ten himself, we have flush outs that should be good. Unless he's sitting on ace of diamonds, ten of diamonds. I, you know, to be honest, I don't like the call preflop. I'd like a decent raise to like twenty-five dollars here to isolate, take control, and have position. Uh, that being said, I think the move now is tough. If we had a ten, we don't pop it after we raised on the flop. Uh, if we believe this person was trying to get a free card, then I want to bet. If I believe he has the better hand and might pop our bet, then I might check. Since we just called his raise, I'll check and reassess. Here comes part two. Hello again. I think there's a chance we could represent something like Jack-10. And if we hit a diamond on the river, we're probably golden. We make a nice, neat $50 bet, and our opponent immediately overshoves his remaining stack. We have to fold. He confidently tables the 10 of diamonds, 8 of diamonds, and rakes in the pot. It's a shame the turn wasn't a diamond. Oh, what might have been. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, don't get hung up on what shoulda, coulda, woulda happened. Just move on to the next hand. I hope to see you on the film. Well, as I said, our opponent needed to fold or raise there, and we got our answer. Uh, to me, though, it was worth that $50 investment. I stand by my check. Of course you do. <laughs> All right, sign with advancedpokertrading.com. Hand of the week, send your hands for situations to podcast at antiopmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from this the past year, you get a free membership to Advanced Poker Trading, the world's number one poker trading site. Dan Banks in the house this week. Chris? Yay! And uh, he says, I meant to send this back to you when you had a discussion on kids playing poker. When me and my friends had teen kids, they played with us. We generally tried to teach them, but there was no soft playing. Usually they were playing with their dad's money, so taking it was extra fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Those kids are grown now, and one is my uh, barber. Uh, He invited me to play in their game, which was a few cops, uh, county officials, as well as Wyatt, the 14-year-old son and son of the host. Was Worm there? Was Worm in the game? (laughs) 
Uh, it's the same situation as 15 years before. He's the next generation. Wyatt is pretty cool. A first-level thinker and seat to my left. He went on a heater the last game, has procured a bank deposit bag for his new $120 roll, <laughs> which probably is a lot to a 14-year-old kid who's never had a full-time job. Scared money in a 1-2 game, not something we see a lot. The other players don't study poker, but they do try to put opponents on hands and choose spots to make moves. The game is loose with a fair number of limp pots. The notable aspect of this game is that players' bet size too small, especially after multiple limps as the pot gets bigger. All right, here's the the hand. The uh, blinds are obviously one two. Effective stacks are one twenty, and we are in the small blind. Uh, two cops and the county surveyor limp in, uh, which is middle position, cut off on the button, and we are in the small blind with ten of spades, six of spades. Uh, <laughs> I hate these hands. I just want you're supposed to fold here. I don't know how many limpers there are. I mean, yeah, okay, there might be somebody at the table like you said that's playing with scared money, and you might happen to play against that player in this hand, then you might flop something they could never recognize, or you know, you might take advantage of the fact they don't want to go broke, so you can make a big bet at some point in the hand or whatever, but this is just a hand you should fold. You you have the absolute worst position. It's not like it's, you know, Tony G's 10-8 or something. I mean, it's 10-6. So, I, I don't know. I I, I would, I, if I were given advice on how to play these hands, I'm getting out. I'm folding. It's, it's, you're going to get, you can get in trouble. Okay, so you flop a 10 but you have a horrible kicker. Okay, you flop a six, but people could be limping with sevens to set mine. You know what I mean? There, There's all kinds of pitfalls here, and I just don't play this hand. So I fold. I'm sorry. Not to mention your flush or straights are all uh, yeah. not be the so, yeah. Uh, although, yeah, I guess you have one possibility for your flush to be <laughs> the nuts. It goes perfect, perfect, perfect. But um, So, yeah, I mean, I'll repeat the, uh, the advice I give in our Poker 101 classes on the cruise ship just because it's a discount doesn't make it a deal, right? So, right. Um, now, all that being said, a lot of it comes down to restraint and how well you can play after the flop. So I know in a, in a fun game like this, it's tough to fold here for a dollar when you've got three limpers in, and you're probably assuming the big blind behind is not going to raise, so you get a free look. And, you know, if you hit big, you know, which is two two pair bigger, then uh, maybe you've got a chance. And if you don't, then you get out. So back to your point, you hit a six or you hit a ten, uh, that's not hitting a big get out. Um, but what happens is you end up getting some of those, those middle mid range flops that, that, that sort of hit you and you stick around and then at the end of the hand you're broke. So, um, and I'll tell you from Thunder Valley, I'm like, I, I was coming home a winner in tournaments and coming home a winner in cash games. I had a really good Omaha session. And then the last day uh, I went over to proof pages. So I'm like, I could just sit here and proof pages or I could play poker on proof pages. Right. So there wasn't a seat at the Omaha, so I played four eight uh, hold'em, and um, and I made all kinds of calls with hands like this from the small blind. That forces limits; it's a little different, but I ended up having a losing session because of it. There so, oh, well, that's what happens. This stuff adds up for a while. I mean, going back to our um, uh, listener spotlight, you know, you're going to remember when you hit a hand like this, but you're going to forget all the hands that you lost uh, playing crap like this, right? So, yeah. um, and there's a lot more of them we're going to lose. So. Um, yes, from a technical standpoint, this is a fold. I'm going to assume that's not going to happen here. And uh, in a friendly game, as long as you're disciplined to get away from it, uh, I'm not going to tell you not to throw that dollar away. But um, but there's no raise right now, so it's a dollar. You're disciplined. Get away, get away from it, great. But you really should fold. Go ahead. All right. Here it says, I'm getting 9-1 to one with a suited hand in a loose game where people size too small. I put in the dollar. Now young Wyatt raises to $4. Um, 
and everybody calls. It's back to us. Well, you have to call now. You've committed to this hand, and it's it's no different. No, you've got no information from anybody except Wyatt. And like you said, he's the one that could play for scared money. So he's the one you want to be in the hand with anyway. So, yeah, you might as well just call and hope you flop big against his kid and then send him scurrying to never want to play poker ever again. Because believe me, when you're 14 and you lose 120 bucks, you're going to cry for weeks. Yes, that's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. All right, so that's what he does. Uh, Pausing out 20 bucks. The flop comes Jack of Clubs, Queen of Hearts, King of Diamonds. Uh, he says Wyatt sits straight up and starts grabbing his chips, but the action is on us. Okay, can you say the flop again? Jack of Clubs, Queen of Hearts, King of Diamonds. Queen of Hearts, King of Diamonds. I had the other version. Okay. Um, Flopped open-ended. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, this is tough. I mean, here's the deal. If you make a bet, you might bet yourself right out of this hand because someone, people limping are limping with these types of cards in their hands and suited aces and everything, so... I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, if we make a bet now, we could force ourselves to be out of this hand. Somebody could re-raise this out, and then do we really want to, you know, I, I might just check. I might just check and play along as if I didn't hit it and see what kind of price they want to set. I know it's we're going to be out of position the whole way, so I really don't want to put more money in here and then have somebody have, you know, bluffing opportunities behind me the rest of the way. So if, if they want to make it like 10 and I can call and get heads up with somebody and then... You know who knows, but at this point, I really don't want to put any money in the middle. Somebody who has limped with like Queen Jack, we put in like twenty, and they make it seventy. Do I really want to put in my entire stack on a draw like this? And it's not even the nut draw unless it's the ace. You know, what I mean, it could be someone has ace ten already. You don't know. So I, I, I think I'm gonna uh, just check here. Yeah, here's the thing: is I want to, I want to get to my straight as cheaply as possible here. Um, it's unlike Omaha, where you want to bet your draws because you're not going to get paid off when you, when you get it. This particular draw, if an ace comes, we're going to get paid off, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not worried about that. So uh, what I am more worried about is what you mentioned: is betting and then getting raised, re-raised, or whatever on the way back, and I have to put a lot of money in on a draw, and not a great draw either. So. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna check here and, and, and hope the betting is, as as you mentioned, kind of small and lets me get to get to my straight pretty cheap. So all right, uh, all right. Uh, here it says his options are to bet into the preflop razor, who is hyperventilating and poised like a rattlesnake to fire chips in the pot with three players behind him, uh, with my ass end of the one card straight draw or check. Uh, I choose check. Good, good call. Yeah, well, if we had that information, we'd have clearly would have checked immediately too. If we knew the kid was chomping at the bit to put chips in the middle, we're going to well, check. Well, I, anyway. I did say before we had that that he said why he sits straight up and starts grabbing his chips. All right, so, all right. Because really... he added to the animation after. Oh, okay, that made me feel better. All right, Wyatt bets five bucks, and only the button calls, so it's back to us. I call. Yeah, this is fine, right? You know, yeah. five bucks into that pot—that's a quarter of the pot. Then prices out. I'm happy right now. All right, uh, Hero says, uh, I'm getting 6-1 to one with an open and straight draw, so I call. It wasn't until this point that I even thought about ranges. My thoughts. Uh, Wyatt probably has a couple big cards and could have a set or two pair. I think he would have uh, raised more preflop with King-King or Ace-Ace. He doesn't raise a lot and doesn't raise big. Probably two Broadways or Jack-Jack or maybe Queen-Queen. Ace-10 for the flop nuts is in his range, though. I'm not sure he would have min-raised preflop with other hands, uh, with other uh, 10x hands. And wouldn't be ex- this excited with one pair plus a draw. Uh, the button I exclude from his range, the hands I put Wyatt on, or he would have raised. What could he call twice with? All the lower pairs should go away. He doesn't have a two pair. Any ace that makes a pair plus a gut shot should have raised preflop. 
all other aces would have uh, would have a good shot that would chop with any other ace and should fold. He only draws with a 10, but he only needs uh, one card to have that draw. There's a good chance he also has 10x. This is the case of drawing to a chop with a small chance of drawing dead if White has the ace 10. Well, if you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Right, we call the pie box, so we'll see what happens. Uh, the turn is the six of clubs. Uh, our board now is jack of clubs, queen of hearts, king of diamonds, six of clubs. And he says, White is now standing up. And it's on us still, though. Yeah, well, I mean, what are we going to do? We're not going to bet now. We're, we'll obviously have another player in the hand. It's not like we can bluff two players unless we absolutely pinpoint accuracy how these guys play and what they have. So that's not going to happen in this type of game. So we're just checking again. And we had spades, right? Ten of spades, six of spades? Yes. Yeah, so it was not like we picked up a club draw or anything. So, no, yeah, yeah, I'm checking. All right, that's what we do. Uh, Wyatt bets 10 bucks, and the button calls quickly back to us. Well, let's see. There's 35 in the pot, 45, 55 in the pot now, 10, 5 and a half to 1 to try to make a straight. You're probably not going to get paid off, though, I think. If the ace comes, they're all going to think you have a 10, because why else are you just calling? And if the 9 comes, they might. They're still going to think you have a 10. So, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, ten bucks when I got a hundred and twenty in my stack starting the hand. Probably I might still call. I don't know. And if I don't get there, I can get out easily. So I might still call. The problem is going to happen is that it's hand of the week, and a nine's going to come. We're going to make a straight, and somebody's going to have the ace ten or something. You know what I mean? They have the Casenza or something. You watch. That, that it's the hand of the week. I mean, what else could happen here? So, well, I think the situation's changed a little bit for me now. So now there are two clubs out there. I mean, it's it, it, not too worried about somebody having uh, clubs, but yeah, that that kills a couple of our outs now, right? So, um, so we have a less chance. I I think he's right. I mean, it's possible that we are drawing to a chop, and that's no fun. Um, you know, if we already have it, and then somebody catches up, that's a different story. But we don't have it, so we still got to get there. If we get there, it may not be good enough for us to win the whole pot. Um, I know it seems kind of tight here to fold, but uh, I just feel like I was willing to put that five bucks in on the flyer to see if I could hit it on the turn. I missed the turn. Uh, the turn doesn't help anybody, but it complicates the river for us now. And um, you know, we've got a player that's super excited, which means he's got something. He's why it's not betting this on a draw, right? So, yeah. So we, we're gonna have to. Well, obviously, we got the hit. I mean, <laughs> no way her ten's gonna be good. Um, although I guess the six paired us, right? So, but hey, that probably doesn't help us either, unless the six comes. The ten's not going to help us. Ten's going to kill us. Yeah. So, yeah. So you know, I don't know. I think at this point I might fold, and I'm also going to get up and go get a beer and not sit there and do find out. Hey, you don't want to know, know what happened. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, here it says I couldn't help but think I'm drawing to a chop. I couldn't think of a snap call hand a button could have that I didn't chop with. Why it could have the nuts, but it's a small portion of his range. There is a backdoor flush draw now, but that doesn't fit into the action much. I'm getting good odds, but that doesn't help if I lose. In the actual hand, I folded, but for this exercise, let's assume a call because we get there on the river. Okay, so I and I don't fault a, a, a fold. I mean, I don't. I just don't fold. I mean, yeah, a six. So you have a six could come on the end, you know, um, and give you three sixes. That still might not even be good. This kid's chomping at the bid. He could have ace ten already. So I, I don't mind the fold there. Um, and even if it gets there with a nine. You still could lose, and if it gets there with an ace, you could be chopping. So all your pot odds go out the window too. So uh, it's interesting. 
feels like somebody has Jack-10, to be honest with you. That's what it feels like. It feels like somebody has Jack-10 in here. One of these guys. Yeah. And I don't think it's the kid. Yeah, yeah. probably the... Yep. Um, but, okay, so he called. I, like I said, I, I might have called if I can assess these guys well enough. Uh, and But I don't fault the fold at all. And I'm probably even leaning toward that after Scott's discussion. So... But okay, so we call. Let's let's just pretend we call. Well, yeah, he, uh, he uh, yeah, exactly. He actually told him he pretends he calls. So right. whoever, as he mentioned, is the nine of spades, the final board, jack of clubs, queen of hearts, king of diamonds, six of clubs, nine of spades, and Wyatt incidentally yells twenty dollars and splashes the pot and begins walking around. Of course, we're not in, so he's for stack. But right, button says I'm probably going to lose, but I call. Just throws in the twenty bucks. The pot is ninety five bucks, and it's twenty dollars to call to us. Yeah, we probably call. I mean, you have to call. You got After straight. this is the card yeah. we were looking for. Yeah, right? you have to call. But I'm not doing anything else. I'm not going right. crazy. Uh, he says, in a normal world, Wyatt should only have ace-10 for the nuts here. Any 10 is a straight, uh, which beats everything else in his range at this point. We don't think Wyatt had a 10 except ace-10 based on previous action. The only hand that beats any 10 is ace-10. Of course, Wyatt, who's now walking off the adrenaline, might not even notice that any tennis is straight as his brain is already at GameStop buying a new Xbox game with his pot. <laughs> uh, if the button is thinking like me, is calling with a 10, expecting to see Ace-10, which fits with his crying call comment. I'm not sure what else he could have uh, that would have been played this way. I might have called this point, but one could argue for folding here, especially the conditions were more normal. A two-way chop may be the best-case scenario, um, or so I thought. The reveal, Wyatt had jack of hearts king of spades uh, for flop top and bottom pair. The button had the ace of clubs, nine of clubs for fourth pair, which you made on the river wow. while missing backdoor nut push draw. Uh, uh, it says, um, White had about what I figured. He hit two pair and probably <clears throat> just didn't notice any 10 was a straight. He's a first level player focused on the nominal value of his hand, his bank deposit bag. Now runneth over. It could benefit from some coaching from Mike Caro. Uh, button was hard to read because he uh, messed up every other street. Pre-flop, he called the suited ace fine. Uh, I call I called with suited less. Flop, he called with a gut shot that would chop with any other ace in a multi-way pot. Incorrect. Turn, he called with a backdoor nut flush draw fine, but looking back, he didn't think and called quickly. Um, and the river, he called with fourth pair against someone who was 100% not bluffing. Terrible. Uh, hero folded the best hands quickly. <laughs> 1.5 times in this one, but if you called here... Uh, you're good for the $95, um, 47 big blind pop. Well, I mean, the, the guy on the button, I don't fault him for such a small bet, and you've got an overcard and a gut shot to Broadway nuts, and then you pick up a flush draw on the turn. You're not going anywhere. You have so many outs at that point. Even an ace could be an out. Um, you don't know that at that point, but you know, you hit the 10 on the end, you got the nuts. If you hit any club, you've got the nuts. There's just there's no reason to go anywhere for what was it? How much uh, was on the 10? Yeah, $10. You know what I mean? There's no way you're going anywhere there with a nut flush draw. If anything, you might even raise there, you know what I mean, um, to get the 10 out that, you know, who knows? But, I mean, to me, I don't think that's – he played it that bad. I think he played it bad in the end, but at, at that point, it's a crying call because there's no way he's winning with a pair of nines there. That's probably the worst call, the worst move he did. Um, you know, suited ace nine, calling from the button, that was probably a mistake, limping. Probably should have raised preflop. Um, he would have isolated Wyatt, then he would have probably still lost same amount of money. But wow, yeah, eh, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I still don't. It's because they won, it would have won the hand. I don't. I don't fault Dan for folding at all. 
No, but knowing knowing now seeing these hands now, now I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little uh more willing to stick around in yeah. these hands now. Um yeah. we really put these players on much better hands than they had. And um if this game is this wild and loose, I don't wanna loosen up my play, but I'm gonna to um loosen up my calls when I'm worried about facing the nuts when these players obviously get excited about non nut hands. So Absolutely. All right, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. The music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.